on this episode of Drive with Woody Fit, I break down what you need to do if you feel like you're in a plateau and how to work through that plateau. Now, I really break it down all the way from your training, your diet, your recovery, your supplementation, what's the most important thing to look at, what's the least important thing to look at, and how to go about doing all of that. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to do a giveaway. We're doing a t-shirt giveaway, and this t-shirt giveaway is for Bing Bing Chow. Left a review on iTunes, and if your name is Bing Bing Chow, um, email your t-shirt size and your shipping address and your Instagram handle to admin at executivefitllc.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at executivefitllc.com, and I'll go ahead and send you um, your Executive Fit t-shirt. So thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for leaving a review. If you want to win a, if you want to get your hands on a free t-shirt, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or over on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash LLC, and we'll pick the best reviews each month and send you free t-shirts. Um, so without further ado, let's get into this episode of Drive with Woody Fit. You know, this week has been a, a tad bit, tad bit disappointing, but that's, of course, part of the process, part of um, what we're doing with Drive with Woody Fit. Uh, we had planned on bringing, so if you've been listening, you, you've heard our interview with Adam Lamb about uh, optimizing your hormones, and so one thing that we are kind of... Um, starting to focus on is bringing people onto the show who are um, experts in their field, very knowledgeable in what they do. And this week, we had planned on bringing a close friend of mine on the show, and she's a registered dietitian. Now, unfortunately, because of some scheduling issues and, you know, the fact that, you know, I don't want to only blame Megan and Michael because they're in school, and I don't not... I don't want to point the blame and be like, it's their fault because they're in school. But scheduling gets difficult when two of the three of us who do podcasts together are still in school and still and also working. Um, mind you, I'm not only working 46, 48 hours a week um, at my day job, but I'm also spending time with clients after work, um, training clients individually, doing things um, for the business, the day-to-day things that need to be done with, um, you know, updating client schedules online and, and whatnot. So there's a lot of moving parts that, um, that, that, that need to be synced up when we get somebody on the show. But um, just so you guys know, you know, we are, we are planning on bringing more people onto the show. I'm reaching out to people uh, fairly regularly, and um, our next guest hopefully will be a registered dietitian. And our our plan with that is to really dive into um, some of the myths and some of the um, common, you know, misconceptions when it comes to eating, um, what what you should be eating, what you shouldn't be eating, uh, things like that. But what really sparked me to make this episode was. Um, In the last episode, I answered a question specifically on how do you um, how do you work through a plateau? And I I gave I I I thought that I gave a pretty decent 
explanation on, you know, the training aspect of things on how to break through a plateau. You know, in, in terms of training, I, I broke it down fairly simply. It's, you know, whatever you're doing, do something different because a lot of us get stuck doing the same thing over and over again. And that's just, it's human nature. We are, um, we are creatures of habit and we choose to do things um, that, that are habitual and because that's, that's what we are, that's who we are as a people, as a human. Um, you know, we like generally, you know, unless you're part of an outlier, we like uh, structure and, and habit, habit, habit creating. So um, I wanted to create this episode to really dive into what you need to do um, when you are trying to work through a plateau. So let's say at this point you are um, consistent with your workouts. You know you you're putting in the work. You're you're eating the way that you think you should be eating um, to reach your goals. And you know you you kind of feel as if um, you know you're at a plateau. You're not making progress anymore. What do you do? And the first thing you need to do is take a step back and look at the entire picture. Okay, so there's there's when I'm when I'm helping somebody work through a plateau, there's four areas that we're gonna look at. Look at. Okay, we have your training, and these are these I recommend looking at these um, areas in this order, uh, in order of um, what's the term importance. Looking at these areas in order of importance, um, we're gonna look at your training. You know, what are you doing? What are you not doing? What can we do better? We're going to look at your diet. You know, are, you know what what is going on with your diet? We're going to look at your recovery, which is generally focused on sleep. But there's a few other things that I'll touch on. And we're also, then finally, we're going to look at your supplementation. You know, what are your routines? What, what supplements are you taking? Have you tested these supplements to see if they're working for you? Um, and what are, what are we going to do about it? So um, let's jump right in with training. Um, now, there's there's really three three ways to lift weights, right? Um, maybe there's four, but I, I'm going to touch on these three because these are the three big ones. You know, this is not taking into account like Olympic style lifting. This is taking into account for um, you know the average Joe Schmo. You know, maybe you you amateurly compete in bodybuilding, or you amateurly compete in powerlifting, or 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 endurance racing, whatever. You know, you do Spartan or you do Tough Mudders, whatever. This is really focused for um, the average person. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the first thing we're going to look at is the the three big ways to lift weights. We have our strength phase. We have our hypertrophy phase, and we have our muscular endurance phase. I'm just going to refer to them as phases. Now, in the strength phase, we're looking at very heavy loads. This is this is the area of training where it's a lot of weight. You're pushing a lot of weight, and these loads are generally between 75 to 100% of your one rep max, right? And this includes going and attempting a new one rep max. And generally, your working sets are in the one to six reps rep range per set okay you're not really going above six reps per set and you know what goes along with this is your rest times your rest times are then longer because you need to give yourself time to recover 
between each set. So generally your rest times might look between three and five minutes of rest between sets. And this puts a lot of strain. This does put a very heavy strain on the central nervous system, which will be the central nervous system is going to be a pretty big topic um, in this section. And then next, what we have is hypertrophy, you know, which is moderate loads, 60 to 70 percent um, of your one rep max. And this is really when we talk about percentages of, of your one rep max, we're really talking about your main movements, you know, your bench, your squat, your deadlift, your red press, like, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody knows what their one rep max on dumbbell bench press is. And I don't really see um, an importance of knowing what your one rep max on a dumbbell bench press or a dumbbell shoulder press or a bicep curl is, unless you're just curious and you want to know what your one rep max is. Um, so the hypertrophy phase is moderate loads, 60 to 70% of your one rep max. And generally these reps are between the eight to 12 rep range. And generally your rest times look like one to two minutes of rest. Now this phase of training can still strain the central nervous system because the central nervous system is, you know, the job of the central nervous system is to send the signals to the peripheral nervous system, which is, you know, everything that stems from the spinal cord. So the central nervous system is your brain and your spinal cord. And the peripheral nervous system is everything that stems from that. And those nerves that stem from that attach in the muscles, basically, at, at um, motor neurons and send signals to the muscles to make stuff happen. Um, so, it, you know, even training in the hypertrophy and muscular endurance range can put a strain on the central nervous system. Now, the muscular endurance phase, what we have is lighter loads, which are generally 30 to 50% of your one rep max. And the rep range looks like 15 to 25 reps per set. And generally, your rest times with these look like 30 seconds to a minute of rest between sets. Now, like I said, this can still strain the central nervous system. One big um, topic or, or factor that plays a role is central nervous system fatigue, CNS fatigue. And you'll see this a lot when, especially when you're in the strength phase and you're doing, you're lifting heavy and not only are you lifting heavy, but you're lifting heavy frequently, right? So you're, you're doing it a lot. Um, you know, th like I said, the central nervous system is the brain and the spinal cord. And then the peripheral nervous system is what stems from the central nervous system to the motor neurons, which are in the muscles. And those motor neurons are basically kind of, you can think them as like effector sites where the signal goes to, to tell the muscle to contract or relax, whichever movement you're doing. Um, you can kind of think about it this way, uh, is that the central nervous system comes up with the signal and the peripheral nervous system makes the signal happen. So when you touch a burner, when, when you touch a hot burner on the stove, um, it, you know, that, that uh, sensory, the, the sensory stuff that's happening sends a signal to your brain that this is hot and then the brain generates that signal um, of move the hand and it sends it to the peripheral nervous system, and that signal goes to the required muscles that need to work to move your hand out of the way. And if you've ever accidentally touched something hot, you know that this happens extremely fast. And it's so it's that's basically what's happening when you are um, when you're lifting, right? Um, so like if you're squatting 315 pounds, right? The peripheral nervous system will recruit the muscles in the legs. 
the back and the core and it recruits them all to work so that you can go through this squat, especially a very heavy squat. Now, when you're lifting in the strength phase, it requires a considerable amount of motor neuron recruitment, which puts the CNS to work. You're really putting the central nervous system to work when you're lifting in the strength phase. And overdoing it, basically, uh, you can kind of limit the signal that the central nervous system can send to the peripheral nervous system. And once this happens, the weights generally might feel heavier than they usually do, right? And, you know, there's a lot of other psychological things that come into play, like, uh, in particular, you know, when I squat 315 in the garage, it, it feels heavy, right? And sometimes I struggle to do anywhere, any more than, than two or three reps. Um, and, and I'm really, really uh, struggling and pushing to get through it. But just recently, um, I had gone to the Warhouse gym up in Reading. And I was there with a buddy and we were squatting. And I decided to do three sets of three on uh, three sets of three at 315. And, you know, I, I knew going into it that this was a little bit, um, a little bit more volume than I'm used to with my squats, especially now because I'm really focusing on, um, on my deadlift. But because of the, um, because of the environment and not that I knew people were watching, but just the fact that I wasn't alone, I wasn't in my garage, um, it, it made it seem much easier. So there is a psychological factor that, that comes into play when we're talking about lifting heavier weights. But, you know, when you overdo it, um, if you're in a situation like that where you can really push yourself all the time, it can be easy to overdo it and kind of uh, fatigue the central nervous system and, and kind of um, get to the point where you're limiting that signal that the central nervous system can send to the peripheral nervous system. Um, and, you know, not only do you need to rest your muscles, but your central nervous system also needs time to recover between workouts, between sets, yada, yada, yada. Um, central nervous system fatigue can happen in any phase of training. I already said this. In the strength phase, hypertrophy, and muscular endurance phase, it is possible for you to fatigue the central nervous system. I mean, even though we're not lifting super heavy weights in the muscular endurance phase, you know, we're doing 15 to 25 reps per set, that signal still needs to be sent from the CNS to the PNS. It sounds like I said penis right there for a second. That's that's really, really awkward. Um, so anyway, time for recovery is essential, not only between sets, but also between days. You know, my Mondays are my big, big deadlift day. And right now I'm doing heavy singles. And so Monday is a very difficult day for me in terms of strength. So Tuesday generally does not, it does not look very, very difficult. I mean, if you were to just look at Tuesday, if you were to just look at my Tuesday and think that I train like that every week, you'd probably be very confused. Like, well, why are you training with like extremely low intensity? You're not going to make any progress. Well, it's because Monday was extremely taxing on the body and I need a day. You know, my body needs a day to focus on foundational stuff instead of really, really um, pushing it. And that's, you know, I'm not saying that I don't train hard Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's just the day after a very taxing day, um, I've found that it's most beneficial when I focus more on, you know, a little bit less on strength and more on, um, you know, foundational movements and recovery. 
Um, you know, you're possibly overtraining if you're not resting long enough. You know, if you're really pushing it and doing five sets of five and three sets of three and, you know, ten sets of three multiple days a week on multiple different lifts, you very well can be taxing your central nervous system uh, pretty heavily. So, um, like I said, I uh, right now I'm deadlifting three times a week, but I'm only deadlifting really heavy once a week. And that the uh, the concept there, the idea there is to just get my body really, really good at deadlifts. And that's just my personal goal right now. That's what I'm focusing on. I, I don't really have any care for how I look at the current moment. Uh, I just want to get really good at deadlifts and maintain... Um, you know, my body weight with, you know, pretty much below 158 pounds so that uh, when meat time, when meat prep comes, or well, I'm in meat prep, but when time to start really um, paying attention to my body weight comes around so that I can weigh in for the 148 weight class to compete in, you know, I, I don't have to do a whole lot of cutting and, um, you know, I'm already fairly close to where I need to be. Now, the second thing we're going to look at it's called time under tension, also known as tempo. Um, this is a seems like it's becoming a pretty big buzzword. Is oh, increase your time under tension, your TUT. You know, if you want to see, if you want to build muscle, you gotta increase your time under tension, bro. You know, it's it's very simple. Okay, it's called tempo. It's it's what we call tempo, um, and it's annotated as I'm gonna use this this number as an example is annotated as 2020 and that's how you that's how you track your tempo right like what that's how you that that is how you define what your tempo is now the first number 2 is your concentric movement so that would be a 2 second concentric movement and the second number represents your pause so in this scenario it's 2020 so that 0 means pause uh, you're not going to pause for any length of time Right. Then the third number is your eccentric movement. Um, so that's a two. So because we have two zero two zero, so eccentric movement is a two second movement. And then your fourth number, which is a zero in this case, represents another pause. So that would be a zero second pause. So if we were doing squats with the tempo two zero two zero, from the bottom of the squat, you're going to go take two seconds to go from the bottom to the top of the squat. You're not going to pause at the top. You're going to go right into the eccentric movement where you're lowering the weight and you're squatting down. And that's going to be a two-second movement as well. So when your tempo is annotated 2020, you're going up in your squat for two seconds and you're going down in your squat for two seconds. Now paying attention to your tempo and how you're lifting the weights, not what you're doing but how you're doing that, is usually overlooked. A lot of people overlook this factor. I know I did when I first started training. You know, I also didn't know anything about tempo and how important it is, but a lot of people overlook what they're doing tempo-wise. So look at what you're doing. First, instead of writing yourself a tempo and I'm going to follow this tempo, see what you're doing. Okay, track what you're doing. Try to figure out, you know, are you doing a 1 second contraction? and a one and a half second eccentric motion, um, you know, are you, maybe you're going really slow right now, maybe you're doing a three to five second concentric movement, and a three to five second eccentric, maybe you're just training like super slow mo, okay, 
um, look at what you're doing and try a different tempo, right? So have a longer or slower eccentric movement, a longer or slower concentric movement, you know, play around with it, add some pauses there, you know, in your squats, add a pause, a two to three or four or five second pause at the bottom of your squat when you're in the hole, and then come out of it nice and slow. That in itself will massively increase your time under tension. So uh, look at what you're doing and then um, change it up, right? Do something different. Now, um, let's let's talk about main lifts, right? We hear this this term thrown around a little bit, your main lifts, you know, and, and, and to me, you, you've got four main lifts, okay? Your bench, your squat, your deadlift, and your overhead press. Are you even doing them? How often are you doing them? You know, when I started working out, when I first started, my goal was I want to get as big as possible. I want to get swole. I want to look like a bodybuilder. I want to look big. I want to have big muscles. I want to put on weight. And so I started following all of these professional bodybuilders on Instagram and paying attention to what they were doing. And I would imitate them and I would do what they're doing. And you know, unfortunately, that was not the best advice to take. That was not what I needed to see to really see progress. Now, did I see some progress? Yeah, because I went from zero to 100. I went from nothing to something. And I've said this before, whenever you go from nothing to something, no matter what you're doing diet-wise, no matter what you're doing, you know, sleep recovery-wise, you will see progress. You could take any Joe Schmo off the street not change a single thing about their diet, get them to start lifting weights, and they're going to build muscle. Now, there's a point of diminishing returns with this, and that's why diet is, is so important and recovery is so important, but there is a level of diminishing returns now. So that's why I saw progress when I first started. We could call it newbie gains, okay? And But I avoided deadlifts and squats like the fucking plague when I first started, you know, because... To me, what I was learning was mind-muscle connection. You got to connect with the muscle you're working. And when you do deadlifts, it's very difficult to have a mind-muscle connection because deadlifts are a, a to total body exercise pretty much. Um, you know, you're, you're working almost everything in your posterior chain. Almost everything behind you plays a role in the deadlift. So you're not going to feel it, quote-unquote, you're not going to feel it in a certain area, you're not going to get a pump in a certain area. It's just an overall strength exercise. And that's part of why I avoided it because I didn't know that you're not supposed to feel it in anywhere in particular. And I never really felt it anywhere in particular, except for my lower back. And you know, of course, that was why that was because I was doing them wrong. So I'd never really deadlifted I didn't go above 185, I believe, when I would deadlift. It was very sporadic when I would deadlift. And I would, wouldn't do more than eight reps at 185. And part of that was just I didn't know how to deadlift. I didn't understand that deadlifting would massively improve my growth, my body fat, you know, burning body fat. And so I just didn't do it. And same thing with squats. I never really learned how to squat and then once I did learn how to squat it was I just loved it and started squatting you know regularly but in the beginning you know my my thought process with squats was well you know squats are going to grow the quads and if I want to grow the quads I could just do lunges and leg extensions 
and that would make my quads grow because it's targeting the muscles better than squats anyway, so why do I need them? But, you know, the reason you need these big lifts is because they recruit a lot of different muscle fibers to work, and you can really overload uh, particular muscles in a way that you can't do when you're isolating them. Not only that, but these big lifts also help to stimulate the release of HGH, human growth hormone, which, when released, travels to the liver and is used in the production of IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1, which have a, has a very anabolic effect inside the muscle tissue. So it's extremely important for you to be incorporating these big, heavy lifts. Now, here's one good question that I get is, you know, I work out at Planet Fitness and they don't have barbells. So how am I supposed to deadlift or how am I supposed to squat? Well, you know, you can deadlift on a Smith machine. I don't necessarily advocate squatting on a Smith machine uh, heavy. Okay, so I would say you can deadlift on a Smith machine. Pay close attention to your lower back, um, you know, what you're feeling in your lower back. If you're feeling most of the work in your lower back, um, you know, you're going to have to try something different. Maybe consider some dumbbell deadlifts if you're at Planet Fitness. Um, and then in terms of squatting, um, you know, if you're going to push heavy weight, I would say choose a leg press because you can overload the lower body and really push heavier weight. But if you're going to do, if you're going to squat for like hypertrophy or muscular endurance, you know, I would say it is acceptable to squat in a Smith machine if that's the only, um, the only tools that you have available. But either way, uh, you're better off getting going to a different gym because Planet Fitness is not going to do you any good whatsoever. Uh, you will quickly grow out of that and find it to be um, a waste of time. Uh, now, the last thing I want to say about this before we move into the diet portion is that consistency with a predetermined plan. Now, without consistency, all of this goes out the window. And I, I only want to say that because I know if you're in this boat, chances are you already are consistent, but maybe you're not in this boat and the reason, or maybe you are in this boat, but the reason you feel like you're plateaued is because you're not consistent. So we need to be honest with ourselves. You know, have I put in the work? Am I actually working hard? You know, there's no reason to be afraid of central nervous system fatigue. There's no reason to be afraid of burnout, of, of killing yourself, because you can always come back from it. As long as it's not a chronic thing, you can always come back from it. So don't let that hinder, you know, putting in hard work and doing hard work. But we have to be honest with ourselves about that. You know, am I consistent? Have I put in the work? All right, now let's take a look at the diet, the fun part, the worst part, the best part, whatever your view on it is. Tracking calories, number one. Do you even know how much you're eating? Most people underreport how much they eat, and most people also eat less than they think they do. Now, this combination usually leads to realizing that they don't eat enough food to allow the body to build muscle. Let me tell you this. 99% of my clients who I'm training in person and online are not eating enough food. Generally, that's because the food that they consume are this highly processed, highly palatable food. Um, and, you know, there, there, there was one person in particular in the past. Uh, we were looking at her diet 
and we were doing, I was doing a weekly check-in with her, and I looked at one day, and it was like 930 calories, so I quick messaged her, I'm like, did you really only eat 900 calories in one day, like, did you really do this, and, you know, like, because sometimes it's, there, there can be mistakes where, you know, oh, I forgot to track this that day, or I forgot to track that, and this person's like, yeah, then, you know, that's all I ate that day, and it was like, some fruit for breakfast, one of those, you know, frozen microwave meals that that's touted to be healthy and have, you know, only three, 350 calories per meal, um, you know, had one of those for lunch and one of those for dinner. And like the total caloric intake was like 930 calories in one day. And like, that's all you ate today. And you're lifting weights and you're exercising regularly. Like you need to fuel your body. So, you know, and, and, and if I were to physically ask this person, like, do you think you ate enough? So they would be like, yeah, I totally ate enough. I had, you know, a bunch of fruit for breakfast, and then I had a decent lunch, and I had a decent dinner, and I ate enough. But when you actually track it, you know, there's your, there's your, there's your um, under-reporting, or your over-reporting how much you eat. And then you actually track it, and it's way less than you think it is. So, you know, you, number one, if you're not tracking calories, and if you haven't tracked calories... You need to do this, okay? Now, I don't personally, I don't track calories every single week. Um, you know, a lot of what I had done in the past is stick with the same diet for three to four weeks, um, and I would track it the first week so I would know where I'm at and where I need to add and take away, and then I would stay consistent with that over the course of a month. And now at this point, I've started to get a little bit more um a little bit more lenient in terms of what I'm eating. I like to add a little bit more variety. So I'm not eating the same thing day in and day out. And, you know, it's it's not super hard to figure out how many calories you're eating per day. You just, you take a little bit of time. You get a good general knowledge of what you're putting in. You know, and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll make, uh, homemade hamburger helper. I'll make, um, you know, and I'll take all the ingredients, calculate all the macros, protein, fats, and carbs. If I'm, you know, making a big pot of it, I'll figure out how much of everything I'm putting in. You know, what's the, how many calories are in this pot? You know, there's, you know, 24,000 calories in this pot or whatever. I'll split that up over the course of how many meals I'm eating each day or how many meals I'm eating of that particular food throughout the week. And then boom, you have a decent, count per meal of how much protein fats and carbs and calories are in each meal um, so it's really not super difficult to uh, figure out where your where your calories are now uh, let's talk about a caloric surplus caloric deficit and metabolic adaptations what the fuck is this so a caloric surplus is when you are eating more calories than you burn this is essential if you want to build muscle okay and then we have a caloric deficit, which is eating less calories than you burn. And this is essential if you want to burn body fat. Now, metabolic adaptations. When we, when, we, when we hear the term metabolic, we're talking about the metabolism. Okay, So the adaptations that your metabolism can, uh, can adapt, the, the, the adaptations that your metabolism will do, will occur, will, I, I don't even, it's late. Okay, give me a break. So, resistance training will speed up your metabolism, but there is a level of diminishing returns. Don't think that 
you can just start resistance training. And as long as you keep lifting weights and keep feeding your body, your metabolism is going to get faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. At some point, you're going to top out. Okay, just like how cars have a top speed where the engine just won't put out any more force. Same thing with your metabolism. You can ramp it up so high, but genetically, you can only get it so high. And most people can get it higher than they think. It just takes a little bit of time. You know, like I said, when I start with some clients, their intake of 1,200 calories a day is is what their maintenance should be, right? And so we add in proper programming and we move around their diet a little bit over time to add in more whole, natural, and unprocessed foods. And because we added proper resistance training and adding unprocessed foods, uh, this increases their metabolism. So three months down the road, 1800 calories may be their new caloric maintenance intake, right? Where they can eat 1800 calories a day and not lose weight. Now, I don't know about you, but I love food. I, I love food. Absolutely love food. And, you know, if I can get my metabolism ramped up so that I can eat 2800 to 3000 calories a day and not gain any weight, Man, that's going to give me a lot of room to play with. And it's going to give me a lot of food to be able to eat. And I like eating food. So this is going to be a good thing. So this is why lifting weights is good. Because it can allow you to eat more food. Especially if you're a foodie, this is a good thing. Now, the metabolism will also adapt to a super low caloric intake by basically, and I use this term with quotations, down-regulating or slowing down how fast it burns calories. You know, think about this as, think about a slow metabolism as a Prius, okay? A Prius gets like 85, 100 miles to the gallon, so you can go really far on only a few gallons of fuel, but a Duramax diesel truck might get 8 to 10, maybe 12 miles to the gallon, which means it's burning a lot of fuel in that 8, you know, it's burning one gallon of fuel every every 12 miles, while the Prius is burning one gallon of fuel every 100 miles. So, you know, the Duramax diesel is burning a lot more fuel, so that's a fast metabolism. And a Prius is really conservative about how it uses its fuel. That's a slow metabolism. Now, this can prevent you from losing extra weight. And, you know, your metabolism, like I said, can also adapt by speeding up if you're resistance training and eating at a surplus. Speeding up your metabolism, if you're not eating at a surplus, can prevent you from gaining weight. I guess that's, that's, I think that's where I'm going with this is, you know, if you really ramp up your metabolism and you're trying to gain weight, uh, you know, you need to be at a surplus. And sometimes a surplus can be so high that you want to slow your metabolism down a bit by eating at a deficit every now and then. Ah, that's what I got into. The best thing to do is every now and then go the opposite way, right? So if you're cutting you want to do a short bulk phase every now and then. And if you're bulking, you want to do a short cut phase every now and then. And this kind of helps to reset the metabolism, go the opposite way so that, you know, when you're cutting and you're eating low calorie and then you eat high calorie, you eat at a calorie surplus for a little bit, the metabolism starts to speed up. And then when you cut calories again, your metabolism is ramped up and burning calories like crazy and you're eating at a deficit. So boom, there goes the body fat. And then the reverse, you know, if you're bulking and you want to get bigger, 
do a short cut phase where you're eating at a deficit so your metabolism starts to slow down and then go right back to bulking and you're at this surplus again and your your metabolism is so slow it's turned into this prius and you can start assimilating the food and building more muscle and gaining mass um you know so take that into account and, and try this this was something that i was afraid of doing for a long time and you know i was like well i want to get bigger i want to get bigger why would i do a cut why would i do a cut and, and then i did it and it it, it fucking works um, so now it's become a regular thing for me. For every now and then, this, I do a little bit, a little bit low calorie. Um, but the other important thing to look at is the diversity in your food choices. You know, uh, eating the same foods day in and day out can cause the body to get used to that food, and then it basically becomes less effective. So if you're constantly eating the same thing, it starts to be less effective. And then, even then, there has been studies that show that you can develop a food intolerance by overconsumption of a certain food, um, like dairy. If you constantly are drinking whole milk and, and a lot of it, and you're eating a lot of dairy, you're eating a lot of yogurt, you're eating a lot of cheese, you can develop an intolerance to dairy. To dairy. I wouldn't necessarily say lactose intolerant, but you, know, you can create an intolerance to certain foods if you're eating them all the time, especially in high amounts. Um, so variety is important, but it is hard. You know, this, this past week I spent four hours meal prepping for one week, but I had almost eight different meals to choose from throughout the week when usually it's four or five meals that I give myself to choose from. So, um, you know, variety is important, but it's going to take time. So if you don't have time, you may have to sacrifice it, but every now and then it's good to meal prep and throw in a whole bunch of variety um, if you can. And then I also want to touch on this subject is consistency with a predetermined plan. If you don't have consistency, all of this goes out the window. And like I said before, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, are we doing the things that we need to be doing? You know, are, are we eating the foods we need to be eating? Are we sticking with our plan when it comes to the diet? Or are we just doing whatever? You know, are you not really, really paying attention to it all? All right, section four, sleep, um, tracking your sleep. You know, the, you could write down what time you lay your head down and what time you wake up and track it that way. But with the technology that's out now, we're able to get a very in-depth look at how our sleep is going, how we're sleeping, you know, how much time we're spending in deep sleep, how much time we're spending in REM sleep. And it's important to know that. So invest in a wearable um, to know how much you're actually sleeping, you know, so that you can understand uh, what's going on when you're lying there unconscious in your bed. Um, next thing with sleep is having a nighttime routine, you know, avoiding blue light or turning off your electronics two hours before bed. Um, this can be hard for some people. It, it's impossible for me. You know, I, I do work in front of a computer up until I go to bed pretty much. So what I do, because I don't have blue blocking glasses, which is an option that you can choose, uh, is I use a blue light filter on my computer screen and, and my phone. And any screen that's on, I put on the blue light filter. And, you know, eventually I'm planning on getting some blue light blocking glasses. But uh, for now, what I can do is limit the blue light that I'm exposed to. And the reason that I want to do that is because blue light um, stimulates photoreceptors in your eyes. And what happens when these photoreceptors are stimulated is it basically tricks your brain into thinking that it's daytime. 
okay? And this can fuck with your circadian rhythm. Now, your circadian rhythm is basically your biological clock that tells you when it's time to wake up and when it's time to go to bed. You know, have you ever slept in on a Saturday? Well, yes, I'm sure you have, a, you have slept in on a Saturday. And you just wake up in the morning to no alarm. You just get up. That's your circadian rhythm basically saying, hey, it's time to get up. Let's get up. Whether you get up at you know 6 in the morning naturally or you get up at 11 a.m. naturally, when your body wakes itself up in the morning, that's your circadian rhythm saying, hey, it's time to wake up. Now, um, you know, you also want to go to bed at the same time every night and, and try to have a routine um, in, in terms of the time that you go to bed. Um, you know, because like I said before, we're creatures of habit. So if we can make a habit of going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, even when we have the ability to sleep in and just sleep the day away, this will help to optimize your recovery um, and, and just your overall your overall health and wellness. Really, now you also you want to aim for seven to eight hours of sleep. And in our society, it's very difficult. That's fucking difficult as hell for me to get seven hours of sleep, let alone eight. Uh, just because I got so much going on, I'm, you know, I'm trying to build this this business, Executive Fit, and I'm also um, working a full time job, and I try to spend time with my kids every night, and I try to help my wife as much as I can. So it's it's difficult for me to find the time to get seven hours of sleep during the week. Um, but you know, if you really want to optimize your performance, you really want to optimize your physique and look and feel as good as you can, you really have to put some focus into this. Uh, a very small percentage of the population can actually truly function and make progress off less than six hours of sleep. So chances are you are not part of that uh, small population. And I think it's very, very small, but I don't have an actual number to, to share with you. And then last thing, consistency with a predetermined plan. Without consistency, all of this goes out the window. So you need to be consistent with what time you go to bed. That's very key. The consistency there is very key. You know, consistency with shutting off electronics or turning off the blue light on your phone, that is all extremely, um, extremely important. Now, supplementation. If and what you're even taking. Are you taking anything? You know, if you're not even taking anything, cool. You know, get your other shit in line before you just start throwing supplements at yourself because there's a reason I put this last on the list is because it is the least important thing to look at. You know, it's more important for you to look at your training, more important for you to look at your diet, even more important to look at your sleep before you even consider looking at what supplements you're taking. Um, you need to have all three of those things in line and have all your ducks in a row with them before you even consider supplementation. You know, supplementation, supplements are exactly that. They supplement the diet. And if you are not doing the things you need to do and eating the things you need to eat, then there is no point in taking supplements because there are bigger rocks you need to take care of before you start to take care of these smaller rocks being supplementation. But anyway, if you've got your training and you've got your sleep and you've got your diet all on point or you think it's on point and you know, there's nothing you feel like you could really seriously improve on, then we can look at supplementation. Now, my big players for supplementation are as followed, are as follows. And I take these, I've ordered these, well, I should put pre-workout at the top, but I've ordered these, I have ordered these in my uh, opinion and how important they are to take. 
Number one is creatine. Um, and now I take creatine every day, creatine monohydrate, pure meat, creatine monohydrate. Um, none of us eat enough red meat to get enough creatine through the diet. And creatine is creatine monohydrate has been studied. And one of the most common supplements that has been studied, uh, it's been shown safe for long-term use, even at high doses. And, you know, there's even other, other health benefits of creatine, not only to help make your muscles bigger, but also in the brain, in brain health and brain function. So uh, creatine is my number one. If you're going to incorporate any supplement and you're not incorporating any supplements, creatine is the one to do it. Next is essential amino acids. And I say essential amino acids because I'm not going to say branch chain amino acids because branch chain amino acids is only four amino acids. And essential amino acids are all the essential amino acids that your body cannot synthesize on its own, meaning we have to consume them to get them in the body. So if you're going to take amino acids, take essential amino acids because you have the full spectrum of amino acids, not just the four branch chain amino acids. You know, I'm going to leave it at that. Protein. And this is very, very big in terms of what protein you can choose from. Um, I choose a plant-based protein, and that's just my preference, um, you know, kind of to cut down on how much dairy I consume, but that's just my preference is a plant-based protein. And then lastly, we have pre-workout. And I should have put this at the top because I take pre-workout every single, well, not every single workout, but most workouts I take pre-workout, uh, especially my heavy lifts. But when I'm focusing on the foundational movements and I'm focusing on, you know, maybe this workout is not super intense, it's going to be a light day, I won't take pre-workout. Um, but I find that pre-workout kind of helps not only to keep me consistent, but kick me in the ass when I need to be kicked in the ass. Now, there's a few things, two things that I want to touch on that I've taken that I no longer take. Testosterone boosters are one of them and these supposedly help to boost free testosterone which they might do but boosting free testosterone is not going to do anything for you and if you've li if you listened to the interview we did with Adam Lamb you would have learned that free testosterone has no significant impact on your actual testosterone levels so what's the point in increasing it it's just a marketing scheme um, it has no impact on actual functional levels of testosterone Remember that. So don't take testosterone boosters. If you're going to take a testosterone booster, make sure it's injectable testosterone. I did not just tell you to do that. This is all, this is not actual advice. Don't do this. Next thing is mass gainers. Um, the reason that I don't like mass gainers is because most of them are chock full of maltodextrin and fillers to increase the caloric content. Now, you don't really want to be mainstreaming your bloodline with maltodextrin and, and carbon fillers and just all the bad shit. Um, it's, there's a lot of sugar in them because that's how they really just increase their calorie content. So you're better off making homemade mass gainers. I mean, fuck, even if you did bananas, peanut butter, you know, Greek yogurt, wal walnuts are huge. You know, half a cup of walnuts has 400 calories. Throw a whole cup of walnuts in in a shake and you're almost at a thousand calories just from walnuts like fuck there's so many easier ways to make a mass gainer that'll probably actually taste fucking better 
then a bunch of protein powder. So, uh, but I generally add some of my regular, you know, like low calorie, low carb protein powder to a mass gainer if I'm making a mass gainer. And, you know, that's just to get a little bit extra protein. And what you could do, you should, you should treat your mass gainer as a meal prep and figure out, you know, what are, what are the actual, um, proteins, fats, and carbs in this, this mass gain. Just take a bunch of different food and blend it together and see what you like. That's the best way to do it, honestly. And I'm sure there's a bajillion recipes out there. I'm not going to go into the one that I do just because I've talked about it before. And that's not what this podcast is about. All right. Last thing I want to say to wrap everything up. Last thing I want to say to wrap everything up is consistency with a predetermined plan. Without consistency, all of this goes right the fuck out the window, okay? That is number one. Before even considering if you're, if you are, uh, if you have a, if you're in a plateau or you're on a plateau and you're not making progress, the number one thing you need to look at first is your consistency in all of these areas, your training, your diet, your recovery, and your supplementation. Are you consistent in all of that? And if you're not, get consistent, watch what happens, and if you still feel like you're in a plateau, start to break things down one by one, just like we did here. See what you can improve on, what you could change, what you could do better with, and make those changes, not, don't throw everything in the, but the kitchen sink at it, like, let's say you go through everything, you're like, okay, my training could change, I could clean up my diet a little bit, and maybe I could sleep a little better, change one thing, you know, don't do all of that, and see what happens, change your training, see what happens, because maybe your diet is good, and you're just overanalyzing it, and you think you need to be better, maybe your sleep is pretty good, or what you're getting is good enough for you to function at, and there's really no real need for you to sleep more, it was just your training that needs to be changed, and same thing with diet, maybe your training is good, but you're just your diet needs to be changed, so don't um, throw everything but the kitchen sink at it, just change one thing, go a couple weeks being consistent with that change in the first area, see what happens, and if you don't see an improvement, make another change. And continue to do this prog- process of make one change, track progress. Make one change, track progress. And, you know, when you make that second change, keep that first change. Don't go back to what you were doing. Um, but make a change, track progress. Make a change, track progress. Keep doing this until you have figured it out. And you will figure it out because it's not super, super difficult to be able to figure it out. But with that... Thanks for listening to this episode of Drive with Woody Fit. I'm your host, Nate Woods. And if you like the show and you like what we're doing and you find it valuable, uh, leave us a review on your podcast player of choice. Or if you go over to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash executive fit LLC. That's all one word. Executive fit is one word. Um, And leave us a review about Drive with Woody Fit on the executive fit Facebook page. We will... Go through each month, pick the best reviews that are left, and uh, send you guys a t-shirt. So thanks for listening to this episode of Drive with Woody Fit. Like, If you like the show, share it with a family member, with a friend, with an enemy. I don't care. Share it out. That's the best gift you could give us, and we'll see you next time.